Okay, so it is my great pleasure to spend this evening in your company. It's actually my first visit to Dallas and my first program in Dallas. I only arrived yesterday. Very inspiring to see so many nice people chanting and, and, and very good. Yeah, so maybe even though Prabhuji already introduced me, maybe I add a few little things to my introduction because I actually have had a pretty adventurous life in Krishna consciousness. <laughs> really, there was no, um, yes, no dull moment, we can say. So I, I left Germany in 84, simply, I was 25 at the time, looking for a higher purpose to life. I traveled all around the planet, all around Europe, around Africa, around Australia. I was one of those woofers, you know, you know what woofers are, building workers on organic farms, yes. <laughs> so, and then in Australia, I actually met the devotees. And within one week, I joined the ashram, and yeah, that was in 85, beginning of 85, so exactly 34 years ago. So I've been all that time really in the fire of all kinds of exciting activities. I spent four years in the ashram in, in Sydney, in the ladies' ashram, and I got training in all different fields of devotional life. Then I was married for 10 years, and in that time, we pioneered the first more organized temple in the former Soviet Union, which was also a whole big adventure, my God. Yes. And we started from nothing, you know, we had no building, no saris, no spices, nothing. And yeah, it was very adventurous. And within a few years, we had 70 brahmacharis, 30 brahmacharinis, ladies in the ashrams. And, you know, yeah, it was very dynamic and exciting. And then my husband left Krishna consciousness, and that was in 99. And since then, I'm basically living out of a suitcase. And I spent five months per year in India and in Bangladesh. Bangladesh is a very interesting place. It's East Bengal. <coughs> East Bengal. Actually, can I have a glass of water? Yes, it's East Bengal. There's a lot of saintly personalities come from Bangladesh. It's almost like the roots of our Vaishnav culture there. So, and yeah, I learned so many things here. I'm quite involved there in student preaching and so many things. And the other seven months per year, I'm all around Europe. I, I like to be in Eastern Europe, like Ukraine. There's a lot of exciting things going on in Ukraine. And yeah, there's so many little countries, Moldova, Slovenia, Croatia, and, and, and. so and lately I've also been venturing to North America. That's my second visit to North America and first visit to Dallas. Yeah, so, I mean, Krishna consciousness really offers a lot of excitement and adventure. If, if we are keen for it, you know, then all kinds of opportunities and doors open. And yeah, I mean, I can't imagine a better life than this. You know. Actually, when I was living in Germany, I worked as a physiotherapist in private practice. And even though I liked my work, but I somehow I had that feeling 
people need something else to be happy. You know, mm -hmm. I, that feeling, I cannot give people real happiness with my treatments. And I just felt that deep dissatisfaction in the heart. And then one day I just decided I'd give everything up. I sell everything. I give everything away. And my friends all thought I was going crazy. <laughs> and I gave up all my medical books and this and that. And I somehow knew I don't need this anymore. You know? And then, surely enough, I never turned back to the medical profession. You know? and now I like to give the medicine for the soul. That's the real, that's the real medicine. Also, I mean, we can say the final solution to all disease is not to get another material body. You know, that's that's the final solution. <laughs> I mean, the world has so many doctors and physiotherapists. Out, so let me let me give the final solution, the final medicine. Yes. Okay. So. Let me take the Bhagavad Gita. I have chosen a topic which I hope is of some little relevance and interest for you. The topic of consciousness. What is consciousness? You know, we often use this term, we talk about consciousness, Krishna consciousness, International Society for Krishna consciousness. But often we don't more deeply understand what actually consciousness is and where it comes from and how it affects, how my consciousness affects others and how other people's consciousness affects me and, and, and. So I find this quite an intriguing topic. And Srila Prabhupada always used to say, before becoming Krishna conscious, we have to become first conscious. And so often we are just so unconscious. <laughs> and so let us try to become conscious of consciousness. And there is a nice verse in Bhagavad Gita, which one was it, 1334, where um, Krishna and also Prabhupada in his uh, purport, he explains us what consciousness is actually. So the verse goes, O son of Bharata, as the sun alone illuminates all this universe, so does the living entity, one within the body, illuminate the entire body by consciousness. So a nice little analogy there with the sun and Prabhupada explains it. There are various theories regarding consciousness. Here in Bhagavad Gita, the example of the sun and the sunshine is given. As the sun is situated in one place, but is illuminating the whole universe, so a small particle of spilled soul, although situated in the heart of this body, is illuminating the whole body by consciousness. So a very nice analogy, you know, which we can all relate to. So just in the way how sun is illuminating the whole universe through its sun rays, right, in the same way, there's the spirit soul in the heart, and it is flooding, it is illuminating the whole body 
I consciousness. So it's a very powerful energy actually flooding the whole body. Thus consciousness is the proof of the presence of the soul. As sunshine or light is the proof of the presence of the sun. When the soul is present in the body, there is consciousness all over the body. And as soon as the soul has passed from the body, there is no more consciousness. So that's the difference between dead body and alive body. Right, the soul has moved out, moved on, so then there is no more consciousness. But as soon as there is life there, growth, it means there is a soul there, it means there is consciousness. Even though it might be a little covered, it might be a little you know, not so easily perceivable or something, but consciousness is there. I will share a few examples in a minute. This can be easily understood by any intelligent man. So let's try and be intelligent and understand this. Therefore, consciousness is not a product of the combinations of matter. It is the symptom of the living entity. The consciousness of the living entity, although qualitatively one with the supreme consciousness, is not supreme because the consciousness of one particular body does not share that of another body. Thank God. <laughs> Just imagine, you know, we would be conscious of every body here, you know, my God, this would be a handful. <laughs> but the super soul, which is situated in all bodies as the friend of the individual soul, is conscious of all bodies. Wow. So, you know, Krishna is in the heart of each and every living entity, and he is therefore conscious of everybody. But the super soul, which is situated in all bodies as the friend of the individual soul, is conscious of all bodies. We read that already. That is the difference between supreme consciousness and individual consciousness. Yeah, so, very nice explanation. You know, Bhagavad Gita, we find so much wisdom in there. I mean, when I met the devotees, the first few days I didn't immediately start reading. I was just working in the garden there on the farm in Australia. But then one devotee really pushed me a little bit. And as soon as I started reading the second chapter, so many verses, you know, which really give some profound insights, that was, ooh, that was really an uh, eye-opening for me. And I immediately realized, wow, this is it. I had found, you know, the medicine which gives real happiness. Yes. Yeah, so in any case, so let's understand consciousness is the, a very powerful, um, yeah, powerful force, energy emanating from the soul, flooding the whole body. It actually keeps every cell in the body alive. 
so that the fingernails grow, the hair grow, the beard grows. You know, this is all happening through that power of consciousness. And not only is it flooding the body like that, but it is even emanating from every pore of the skin as a subtle, powerful energy. If we are a little perceptive, we can feel that. And that's, for example, you know, like very saintly persons, they are effulgent. Even in Christ Christianity, we paint saintly people with a halo, right? So that's not just some artistic tool or something. No, that's because that that saintly, pure consciousness emanates, radiates from mainly from the head, actually, but from all every pore of the skin, all over the body, but mainly from the head. And there is a nice little story when Shiva Prabhupada was in London, and he was going to a Rathyatra parade. I believe you just had Rathyatra, right? So you all know what Rathyatra is, right? So yes, Prabhupada introduced this very early, you know, it was one of the first things Prabhupada introduced all over the world, the Rathyatra festival. So he was walking in London through the streets with a group of his disciples to join the Rathyatra parade. And there were two policemen they saw Prabhupada. They had no clue who Prabhupada was. And some of Prabhupada's disciples, they overheard a discussion. And one policeman was saying to the other, look at this man. He is glowing. <laughs> yes. So they actually could perceive Prabhupada's you know, pure consciousness radiating from, uh, from, from his body. They could perceive that, even though they had no clue who Prabhupada was. No idea, absolutely no idea. But that's how factual it is, actually. And not only pure and saintly consciousness emanates, but also not so saintly consciousness also emanates. Yeah. If a person is very lusty, envious, greedy, yeah, that, that consciousness also floods the whole body. This is, it is also emanating from a person's uh, body. So if one is a little perceptive, one can feel that. Yeah. Actually, it's, that's basically also what we tend to call aura the aura of a person. Huh? It's actually nothing else but the power, the energy of the consciousness, actually. And I'm sure we've all had that experience, like if we have some little tension with a person, some conflict or something, something in the air, and we might be in a room with that person, and even though nobody says anything, but if there is some negativity, right, we can feel this. Ooh, there's some, some tension in the air, it's almost electrified or something. You know, yes, and, and we feel some discomfort if a person doesn't like us and has some negative attitude towards us. We can feel that. 
you know. So that's that's how consciousness works, actually. And I also came across one funny little story. I have some devotee friends in in Australia. It's a family with four children, four boys. And the husband had some time ago, he had a kidney failure. So his wife donated one of his kidneys to him. And she was the only one in the family who had some attraction to eating chocolate. Nobody else in the family was really keen on chocolate. They were rather eating some sandwich or goofy or whatever. But she was really, um, yeah, she was attached to eating chocolate. So then when they came home from the surgery, from the um, kidney transplantation, oh yeah, and she had her little chocolate stash there, some little drawer where she kept her chocolate. So, and then after the surgery, one day she felt like having some chocolate. So she had a look in her drawer, oh, all the chocolate was gone. And she was wondering, huh, how is this, you know, who ate the chocolate? I'm the only one in the family who likes chocolate. So then she asked her husband, you got any idea where the chocolate is? And he was a little embarrassed and he was saying, well, something overcame me and I had this real craving for chocolate so I pinched your chocolate and ate it all. <laughs> so then they were thinking, hmm, maybe this is connected with this kidney transplantation. So the next time they went for a checkup to the doctor, they told the doctor that story. And the doctor was laughing and saying, oh yes, yes, we know this. this every time we transplant an organ, then the person receiving the organ has for some time the same cravings and taste as the person donating the organ. And then he was saying, it seems like organs can remember things, which is of course nonsense. Organs cannot remember things. But the doctor didn't know about the power of consciousness. So her kidney was flooded with chocolate consciousness. <laughs> so when her husband received that kidney, that chocolate consciousness was still there. And it was emanating from, from the kidney. Not for too long, just for a few days or something, a week or whatever, can't remember. And then his new kidney was flooded with his consciousness, which was devoid of chocolate consciousness. <laughs> so then, then that craving for chocolate went away. So, I mean, that's almost like a medical proof how consciousness works, you know? How it is still lingering in that organ, and I mean anybody who knows a little bit about uh, medicine, these transplantations have to be done very quickly, you know? It's like that the organ has to be connected to the powerhouse of consciousness and can only be disconnected oh, for some 45 minutes or something, and then uh, the cells are dying because there's no more living force coming, no more consciousness, right? 
or even when you cut off a little finger, if you really quickly you go to the hospital within half an hour or something, they can sew it back on. As a physiotherapist, I know I had to exercise the cut off fingers and all that. So then it, it grows back on. But if you miss the time, then the cells are dead. Consciousness is not there anymore and uh, you know can't revive it even if you sew it back on and there's consciousness coming, but no, cells are dead. So that's how consciousness works. And basically we can say, you know, there's two, two um, types of consciousness in this world. So there is pure, sublime, spiritual, divine consciousness. And then that's one end of the spectrum. And then there is materialistic consciousness, full of envy, greed, lust, false ego, showing off. I'm the center of the universe. I'm so special and unique. I am it. I'm so cool. And, and, and. That's basically what the false ego is always whispering in our ear, how great and fantastic we are. But actually we are tiny, insignificant servant of the servant of the servant. So yeah, these, type, these two types of consciousness are there. And then in between, there's a whole spectrum of all different mixtures there, right? There's and actually the, the whole process of bhakti yoga or Krishna consciousness is meant to actually bring about this transformation of consciousness that this you know, materialistic ego consciousness is gradually, gradually transformed into sublime, divine, spiritual consciousness. <clears throat> That's actually what we are trying to achieve by chanting and reading Bhagavad Gita and, and, and that all is meant to, to transform gradually the consciousness like that. Yeah, so, and I mean, interestingly, also we say, you know, um, for example, when we cook, we say the consciousness of the cook enters the food, right? That's why we, um, yeah, we try and have more experienced devotees cooking, preferably Brahman-initiated devotees, you know, because Hopefully their consciousness is more connected with Krishna, it is more pure, it is already more, more godly type thing. Because actually by nature the soul, as we were reading in Bhagavad Gita, actually it has the same qualities like Krishna. It has all divine qualities, but just in a smaller quantity. So at the moment, this perfect and, and pure and, and divine consciousness and energy which actually comes from the soul is just covered with a thick layer of dirt, actually. 
So that's why the longer we, we practice this bhakti yoga, the more the natural beauty of the soul actually shines through. You know? That's why more advanced and saintly persons, they they always have a certain attractiveness that comes from that purity of the soul which shines through. So, and yes, that's why we try and cook um, with good consciousness because that enters then the food. And it's not only happening in cooking. Actually, whatever we do with our hands, the consciousness enters. That's why, for example, um, handcrafts, handmade things, always have a, a very nice energy, especially when they're made with a lot of devotion, you know, like if our mother is knitting us a scarf or something, so much nicer, has a nicer energy than when we buy something from the factory, huh? or even anything handmade, even art, definitely. You know, the consciousness of the artist enters that that piece of art, whatever it may be, a, a painting or a sculpture or whatever. Definitely, definitely. And it is lingering in that in that object. There is a certain energy there. Yes. So these things are subtle, but they are they're factual. I mean, in these modern days of technology, we often become rather dull towards these subtleties and we cannot even perceive them anymore, you know? But yeah, all, all kinds of things which we are uh, making by hand, that consciousness enters and that's why handmade things are always very, very attractive, you know? Yes. And now even even plants, trees, spirit soul is there. There is consciousness there, definitely, definitely. I remember when I was still living in Germany as a teenager, my God, this is, you know, quite a while ago, 45 years ago or something, I heard one little report on the radio which impressed me so much that I still remember it after 45 years. And they were showing um, that they were, they were transforming the, the consciousness, the, the, the subtle energy coming from a tree, they were turning that into sound vibration. You can do this technically, right? So, and then they were showing so this sounds, this, this is what a, a relaxed tree sounds like. And the, uh, you could hear some noise, some bzzz, okay, that's the tree, uh, which is relaxed. And then they demonstrated, and this is what a tree in anxiety sounds like. And it was going up and down and up and down, and really, ooh, you know, a different sound. So and then they were explaining why this tree was in anxiety. Because one person came up to the tree 
who several years before cut off some branches of that tree. And that tree recognized that person. Yes. And he was panicking. Oh no, not this guy coming again. I remember him. He cut off my branches. Oh, that was a painful experience. Yeah, so he was panicking. Yeah. I mean, that really impressed me like anything. You know, I thought, wow, isn't that amazing? Yes, yes. So, and of course we may think, oh, well, how can a tree recognize a person who doesn't have any eyes or anything? No, but there is a soul present. He can, he can feel that energy from a person coming. Yeah, he can recognize. I mean, isn't that amazing? After a few years, the tree could recognize. Yes, and I mean, Prabhupada was always instructing the devotees not to cut any trees down, you know. Yes. Yeah, he was very adamant at that. You know, he didn't want to even just cutting off branches and this and that, you know, unless it's really required for the uh, good growth and development of a tree or something. All right. He needs a bit of a haircut there or some treatment or something. You know, but, but yeah, just to, for our convenience, just to cut things off and, you know, no, no, one shouldn't do that, one shouldn't do that, you know. Yeah, so I mean, even even trees, plants, you know, and I mean, understanding that we are, we are worshipping in the temple every day, Tulsi Devi, right? Some of you may know. Yeah, so I mean, um, there is a relationship there, you know, there is a living entity there, there is a pure devotee in that, in that plant's body, you know, and yeah. They can feel. Also, it's a proven fact that pot plants grow better with um, uh, with classical music, whereas you know some heavy metal, uh, techno music, <laughs> they don't really like that so much. You know, <laughs> they, they, yeah, they don't grow so well with that kind of music. You know, yeah, I mean. There's so many subtle things going on, you know. So, and also, I know, I know um, a village community in Sweden where there's one family, he grows organic vegetables. And I talked to him once about this whole topic of plants and, and consciousness and all that. And he said, yeah, my neighbor, the farmer next door, the guy has better soil than I have, but my carrots taste better. And why? Because I talk to them. I chant Hare Krishna to them. I have a relationship with them. I try and grow them with devotion. And then they are more happy and they produce more, more flavor. Yes, yes. Also in, in, in South England, there is a community called Finthorn. It's not, not a Krishna conscious thing, but it's some Christian thing, Christian community. And they also communicate with their vegetables. And they grow these enormous size vegetables, huge pumpkins you've never ever seen. 
you know, enormous. All the vegetables are just, you know, 10 times the normal size or something, not because of fertilizers. No, no, they don't use fertilizers. They, they have a relationship with their plants. You know, they talk to them, they communicate with them, they give them love and care and devotion and all that, you know. Yes. Yeah, so I mean, there's all kinds of interesting things which we are not even aware of, you know, how, how consciousness is there in every living entity, wherever there's a soul, there's consciousness there. And now one last interesting thing is that consciousness travels on sound vibration. So when we sing, or even when we speak, so you better watch out here, <laughs> consciousness, you know, whatever a person speaks or when he sings, that person's consciousness travels on the sound vibration and affects people's hearts in the audience. This is actually what goes on in Kirtan. So Kirtan is not just some jolly music here or something. But it's a whole, it's a whole mysterious, uh, you know, exchange of consciousness. Actually, that the person singing, his or her consciousness travels on the sound vibration, and affects people's hearts. So, and what makes a good kirtan? What makes a kirtan a good kirtan is not so much the musical expertise but the consciousness with which it is performed. Some music there. <laughs> so if the kirtan leader, when the kirtan leader chants, when the person is really connecting with Krishna, calling out to Krishna, oh, please Krishna, accept me, I know you're there, please let me serve you. When kirtan is chanted with that consciousness, that's what makes a, a, a kirtan uplifting because then that person's connection with Krishna travels on the sound vibration. And especially when we are eager, when we like the person also, when our heart is open, when we want to catch something that that person is carrying in their heart, then then we, we soak up that person's consciousness, actually. That's why serious, you know, people who are serious in spiritual practice, they don't listen to music sung or, or made by non-devotees, by materialistic people, contaminating all this rock and roll and all this. It's, there's a lot of lust there, a lot of lust and showing off. Yeah. Even, even if it, we are chanting Kirtan, even the Maha Mantra, if it is performed in the mood of wanting to show off, wanting to make a show out of ourselves, oh, look at me, how fantastic I play and sing, and oh, my voice, and oh, my God. You know, then, yeah, then, not so uplifting, even though we might be singing the Maha Mantra. But then, 
process. Yeah, we catch that consciousness, the showing of consciousness. Yeah, and if we are a little perceptive, we can feel. You know, then there is some. Um, yeah, it's not such a good energy there or something. You know, yes. and even the instrument players. You know, as we said, actually every movement we are doing is coming through consciousness. So a person who wants to show off anything he or she does, doesn't matter whether it's you know laughing, talking, joking, uh, dancing, anything is executed through consciousness. So if it is all done with showing off Freud's ego consciousness, then ah, we can feel, you know, it comes out through anything that person is doing, you know. And in the same way, Prabhupada had such sublime, you know, um, divine consciousness. So sometimes we hear Prabhupada disciples sharing how every movement, every little activity was just so beautiful, so attractive. You know, even Prabhupada just scratching his nose or flicking some little piece of prasadam in his mouth or anything he was doing was just so amazingly attractive and powerful and beautiful and divine because it was executed with this divine consciousness. You know? So in the same way, even playing the instruments in the kirtan, if it is done with pure consciousness, wanting to serve the Maha Mantra, wanting to connect with the Lord, wanting to serve the devotees, then you know, that kind of consciousness comes through the fingertips when we play Madanga or Kaltats or something. But if it's a showing off consciousness, oh, we want to be noticed, then Oh, the Madanga is always a touch too loud, and the counter is a touch too loud. And if we become a little sensitive, we can feel, ah, the person wants to be noticed, and then, you know, and that kind of consciousness comes out, you know. Yeah, so I mean, Kirtan is a very transcendental affair, you know, and where we actually, yeah, we're trying to make it an uplifting and purifying experience, and Actually, everybody who takes part should should understand that and enter that arena, the kirtan arena, with as pure consciousness as somehow possible, you know. And then there's a very powerful and uplifting uh, energy coming about, you know. If the maha mantra is chanted with, you know, the desire to connect with Krishna, you know. Yeah, so it's um, important to understand, I find, what, what is going on there on subtle, on subtle levels, you know. We usually finish at eight, right? Seven to eight or something. I need a little bit of a time frame here. Usually they open the doors. Yeah. Huh? Usually they open the doors. Usually they open the, the, the doors. <laughs> okay, okay. Huh? We'll let you know when they're ready. Okay. Yeah, no. Oh, okay. Yeah, no. I mean, maybe we we see if you have any questions or something. I'll ask a question. Yes, please. So I'm here to Krishna consciousness. Okay. Well. What you the first time here? No. no not that new. I'd say maybe four or five months. Okay. So, okay. Good. Um, I 
think it's difficult as a new person. And I think, Rosie, you posted something on Facebook, mm -hmm. not around me. Um, it's difficult to navigate for me going between I work in human resources, I have this job, I carry these stresses that everybody else has mm -hmm. in some way mm -hmm. or another, mm -hmm. and keeping myself connected. Mm -hmm. um, so it's always an inner struggle. Yeah, very true. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's yes. something. And I ride in my car and I'll listen to Kirtan and yes, um, yes, you know. Yes. It's, it's yes. interesting. <laughs> yes. I mean, we can almost say a devotee leads actually almost like a double life. Mm. You know? We, we, we live in two realities. There is the, you know, the, the temporary reality of the material world where we just somehow have to function, we have to pay our bills and service our car and this and that. <laughs> You know, that's the temporary reality, because at the moment of death, all of that is completely unimportant, you know. All the things which we think now are so important, when we are facing death, no significance, absolutely nothing. There, the only thing which is reality then, is our relationship with Krishna. That's the only thing that counts. And that's actual reality, eternal reality. Everything else is just like a dream world here. But our relationship with Krishna, that's the eternal reality. So a devotee has to learn to function in the external dream world here, in the crazy circus that's going on around us. <laughs> and at the same time, we have to strengthen the eternal reality. And Prabhupada gives a nice little analogy in this regard. He says, like a married woman who has a lover, even though we are definitely not propagating that. <laughs> but nevertheless, it is a good example, an analogy, like a married woman who has a lover. She does her duties towards her husband very attentively, very accurately, even especially attentively, just so he doesn't get any suspicion. But with her mind, she's always with a lover. And at any minute, three minutes, she tries to sneak off and meet the lover. And the lover is, of course, Krishna. Yeah. So that shows very nicely the attitude of a devotee, you know, that all right, we do our duty, but within our mind, we always try to be with Krishna and any free time we want to spend with Krishna's devotees and with Krishna conscious activities. And it takes a while. Actually, just I was yesterday coming from Houston, you know, and I gave a seminar there. And there was one person in the audience he had practiced Krishna consciousness for a while, but he was saying to me, yes, Mataji, but, you know, in the real world, it looks like this and this. He meant, and the crazy circus out there, but that was for him the real world. So I immediately corrected him. I said to him, no, 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 this is not the real world. You know, the real world is uh, Krishna. That's the real world. You know, for you, 
for you now, the crazy circus, the crazy dream world, that's your real world, but we have to transform the reality that, that you know, our life with Krishna and his devotees, that becomes our real world. And the, the other stuff is just, you know, the crazy circus, you know. Yes. So that takes a while, you know. But, yeah, important is that we, we try and change a little bit in the mornings. That's why in the mornings, actually in every spiritual path, doesn't matter which spiritual path yeah. you look at, the early morning hours are always meant for some spiritual practice, some reading of the scriptures or some meditation or some prayer or some worship and that. And, so if you put that in your morning hours, you know, then your whole day has a whole different focus, you know. But if you don't manage to do that, if you get up late and then rush to work, and then you're, you're caught up in, in that kind of reality, and you think that's the real problem of life, how to pay the next bill or something. And you forget that, no, the real problem in life is how to get out of here. <laughs> so it takes a while, but that's, that's why we need association and regular participation in different programs. And, you know, and then, yeah, then gradually, gradually, we, we get a stronger footing in, the, in what I call the real world. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Okay. Yes. Um. So this is only my second time here. Huh? Uh, this is only my second time here. Second time. Wow. Fantastic. So, uh, so you know, especially as like a very um, well devoted devotee, right? Like you've been doing it for a while. So if you were to take it back to like maybe your second time, <laughs> uh, maybe also like you know in an arts mindset like how would you suggest like explaining or like a, like step one on deciding like your momentum behind something like how you said the energy comes out of what you're doing and how you feel so for example like whenever I speak sometimes I feel you know a little insecure about it and then it ends up being like everybody else kind of feels insecure about what I'm saying you know so if you were going to take that you know how would you dissect that to like kind of explain like how you would know if you are going in a wrong mindset because sometimes you don't realize you're being egotistical and you are. So how would you, what's step one there? Like, like the feeling of it, you know, or like what would your suggestion be? I'm not sure if I capture your question. Basically just how, how to assess yourself, whether you go or in just, the right direction. Yeah, like for, for example, like I'm a writer, so sometimes I don't want to be writing for an ego, egotistical, from an egotistical mindset because, like you said, that like creates this energy that other people will take from you, right? And if you're trying to create good, then you got to make sure you check yourself in a way because I do find myself sometimes being like, oh, I want to be noticed, you know, because I feel like I'm. Oh not yeah, we 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 all we that's why we are here, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's why we are in the material world, because we all want to be noticed and recognized actually deep down in the heart, you know? Right. Yes. But for the right thing, right? Like, not for what we're saying, but for what we're supposed to say. Or what we're okay. supposed to maybe transmit to another person. Like, I wouldn't be here if Reagan wouldn't talk to me about this. Or told me, hey, come here. Like, in fact, the first time she told me, I was like, 
what are you talking about? I have no idea. You know, and then she brought me here, and then I met them. And it was, like, this whole energy thing, like how you said. And so I guess it's, like, it's a brand new kind of, like, energy for me. So yes. it's kind of going back to actually, like, my introduction to religion in general, like, that kind of mindset of, like, kind of, I kind of felt like I came off of the wagon a little bit, and now I'm kind of finding myself back into some sort of discipline, and I don't even know where to go. Because <laughs> I don't know if I... Uh, am being egotistical but I'm just trying to write or express myself in the way that I should be. Mm. Well, I mean, see, if, if we want to pursue some spiritual path, then the main and first step is really friendship with, with people who, who are pursuing the same path and who have already a little bit more experience than we have. I mean, that principle is there in any kind of learning experience, you know? That if we, if we want to learn something at the university or the art or playing instrument, we have to have a teacher. We have to learn from somebody who knows a bit more than we do, you know? So that's, that's the first step. Just association, just building friendships and yeah, if possible, trusting friendships, deeper friendships, not just hi, how are you friendships or something, but where we have some some deeper exchange, where we can open up our heart and get some advice or something, you know, some feedback, some encouragement, some inspiration, you know, so association is so important. Whoever you hang out with, you become like that, you know? If you hang out with drunkards or criminals, or well, then you become like that. If you hang out with spiritually inclined people, then it rubs off, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right association. Yes, yeah, just to hang out with the right folks, basically. And it seems like you're doing that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, it's it's such a nice atmosphere and energy here, you know, so, yeah, just by coming regularly, you know, and reading a little bit in our books, and then sooner or later, maybe trying the, the chanting on the beads. Let me ask here, who of you is chanting on the beads? Oh, also. Wow. <laughs> huh? I said, wow. Yeah, it's quite a few people, yes, yes. You know, we don't only sing the Hare Krishna mantra, but we also have the personal private meditation on, on beads. And we say on each bead the mantra. So, you know, eventually, after some time, you can check that out and see, and so on. So there's, there's a lot of interesting things to learn and experience, yeah. And you will see gradually your whole picture of the world and life will all, oh, it will all, the puzzle falls into place and it all makes so much sense and you, you, you have a whole different outlook on life. Yes, it's quite exciting. So just stick with it and things will, things will clarify and, you know, yes. Yes. So this is my first time here. Wow. Um, Welcome. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, 
So I've been uh, meditating just on my own, just uh, and just sitting in my room, just focusing on my breath for about six years now. Okay. Just on a like, I do it almost every night before bed. Okay. And I uh, just want to see like how does that fit into with, um, I guess your your faith in the, um, Krishna consciousness, like how um, that fits in, because like ever since I've been doing that. Um, basically anything that I've ever wanted in life has like come to pass like within like hours of just like thinking about like hey I want this and then like it just happens manifestation, manifestation. Um, and just positive things happen all the time and uh, you know it's like I don't I mean I, I've never done any research on uh, the question would be Sorry. What is your faith? What is yeah? What is uh, no? What is yours? What is mine? Uh, that there's a creator. What, what's the difference? What's the difference between meditating in Krishna consciousness or Christ consciousness or just in Buddha consciousness consciousness period? Yeah. Like what is uh like how does that fit into uh, like, um, your what what you practice? Well, basically we can say there's all different kinds of meditation, you know, so one can have a more impersonalistic type meditation where one just tries to clear off the mind of all kinds of, you know, wild thoughts or something and the breathing and just, um, yeah, <coughs> entering a more mode of goodness type uh, level or something yeah. and the, the, the but then there then there's also a personal meditation <clears throat> where you actually try to connect with the creator I mean you you know you were saying that you believe in in a creator yeah. and that, that's that's already uh, yeah that's already a good realization actually because for many people that's a tough thing to accept that there is actually a higher intelligence there is actually a personality it didn't just everything came about with a big bang here or something but that but there is actually a personality there so that's exactly the, the kind of meditation we are doing because see the point is that actually the soul has a very basic need and the need is love actually to give love and to receive love so if we deeply look in our hearts we are all longing for this perfect and sublime love actually and that's when all our activities in this world we are actually trying to find this love even in being successful, career, what do we look for? We look for recognition. It's it's a form of love, actually. You know? So but actually the satisfaction can only come when we connect with that supreme person because we have an eternal loving relationship with that person. And at the moment we are a little disconnected there. And that's also where this feeling of loneliness comes from. You know? Yes. Yes. 
loneliness comes because we are disconnected from this eternal loving relationship which we have with that supreme personality, with that supreme creator. And so we try to cover up and patch up the loneliness and distract us and then we feel alright, but as soon as we stop with that, then oh, we'll feel lonely again. So that loneliness, the, the cure for the loneliness is only when we actually connect and when we re-establish this loving relationship. So that's what we do in this Maha Mantra meditation. Yes. Yes. Actually, before I met Krishna Consciousness, I was also trying all kinds of meditations and yoga and all that. But somehow, you know, I felt, yeah, it didn't really satisfy the heart, you know? Because the heart is looking for this loving relationship. And that's what the Maha Mantra meditation is all about, you know? So it's a pers more personal meditation, you know? Yeah, so simply try it, you know, I mean, if you've done already meditation, you know, you can probably somewhere get some beads at the Maha Mantra and you, you try to, you know, say out loud the Maha Mantra and you hear the sound and, you know, and you will feel how, how, how that works for you. You can simply experiment. Yeah, life is, that's all it is. It's a test. You're all testing everything out a little bit at a time. Yes, yes. I mean, I, I've been doing it for almost 35 years now. So I, I think I wouldn't do it if, if there wasn't something in it. You know? <laughs> yes, any other questions? Yes. So, um, as we discussed earlier, and how some of us know, Krishna is situated in all of our hearts. And so, I try to apply that principle, like every day, you know, when I'm having interactions with people, I try to remember, this is Krishna appearing to me in some way, even though they're in a veil through the ego. But when a person's ego is acting out, and you're having negative interactions with them, how does one get back to center with you know, acknowledging that they are Krishna conscious and you are Krishna conscious in your soul and allow yourself to act from this place of compassion as opposed to mirroring the ego. Well, it Bro. depends a little bit on our on our spiritual strength, basically. Mm. If our spiritual strength is not so so strong yet, not so established yet, then very easily we get affected by other people's egos. It has the false, I mean, I have a whole 10 hour seminar on false ego actually. We just had it in Houston here. And false ego has a very contaminating effect. Yeah? We, we all have that experience if somebody comes with some ego mood there, then immediately our ego gets uh, inflamed there and flares up and we shoot back and that's how an argument comes and we feel all ugly in the heart and all agitated in the mind and you know all kinds of anger comes up and 
this is all the contaminating effect of false ego, actually. It's so contaminating, it's so subtle. You know, so if, if, if our spiritual strength is more developed, then it will just run off, you know, like water on the duck's back, you know. But if you're like not as spiritually advanced, what are like some tools or tricks of the trade one could use to apply in real time? Well, one thing is to try not to um, uh, interact in that mood, just to somehow pull out, like even, for example, sometimes on the internet, there's all these debates going on. Sometimes. Sometimes. Highly contaminating. I keep completely out of this, completely. Because it's all the ego thing, back, forwards, back, forwards. And there's often no end to it because people, they're actually not inquiring in a humble mood. They just want to push their opinion through. And no matter what you say, they, they make a weapon out of it and throw it back at you. And, ah, oh, useless, contaminating. You know, uh, simply, Hare Krishna, you know, not taking part in it. Just pull out. Don't, don't respond. You know, let it go by. Don't respond. Yeah, otherwise, oh, you get you get so contaminated by the way this mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, I, I completely stay away from these things. Believe it or not, I don't even have a mobile phone. <laughs> I travel all around the planet without a mobile phone. I have a laptop. I have to keep in contact with email, you know. But there I can more easily control when I want to uh, respond and I don't carry this thing always and then it always beeps and does all noises there and oh, it would drive me nuts. You know? No, no, and even Facebook, I'm not a friend of Facebook, you know? there's so much ego stuff going on. I mean, I know this might be uh, recorded for Facebook and so on. A few little good things are there too. You too. But yeah, but a lot of it, there's so much negative stuff going on on these social networks, you know. So we have to be very careful what kind of energies and things we are inviting into our life, you know. If you suspect that you're in a contaminating environment, like let's say you live in a house and you have roommates that may have contaminating energy and so because you're sharing the same home the energy is kind of like leaking through the walls and spreading all over the very home. How very does true. one uh, cope with that? I mean I, I burn sage, I spray banishing activity spray, the aura spray. I mean I do it like when they come and they go I just but I'm still feeling that the remnants of that contamination throughout my day, I can catch myself like thinking about it in a negative space or um, yeah, feeling yeah. angry, frustrated, yeah. exhausted. Yeah, um, yeah, and, yeah. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, that's, you know, the more serious we want to be in, in spiritual practice, the more we, we have to uh, choose our environment and yeah, live with people together as far as possible, who are on the same path, who, where, where we have some positive and uplifting energy, you know, that also is highly supportive for our spiritual practice, you know, living together with other devotees, 
Yeah, 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 very important. Yeah, mm. yeah, all these things really uh, affect us a lot. You know? yeah. And I mean, if I may share some really long-term vision for also for us ISKCON people, you know, I realize more and more that as this Kali Yuga age is progressing. We will have to more and more extricate ourselves from this crazy life in the big cities because it's getting uh, more and more crazy. And that's exactly why Prabhupada was emphasizing so much that we should have village communities, farm communities. Mm. Yes. That's why it's so important also for human beings to be in nature. I once did a Panchakarma treatment, an Ayurvedic treatment in South India, and the, that Ayurvedic doctor explained to me that trees have a very healing energy. And he told me I should spend more time around trees and, and, and you know, so, yeah, but, uh, you know, city life, it's, 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 it's quite unnatural, you know. And, yeah, so I think as, as, Kali Yuga progresses and gets more and more degraded, it will become more important for us to, you know, to build all kinds of spiritual communities where we are a little protected from all this negativity which you're describing. You know, this work another 50 or 100 years, my God, you know, or even less, 20 years, whatever. This will increase so much. You know, yeah. So that's why devotees, we always try to live close by, near the temple, and it's all got, got good energy, and, 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 you know, and then that's helpful, you know. Mm. Yes. Thank you. Is the pushan ready? Or? <laughs> I don't want to keep no, you here necessarily. Okay. <laughs> well, what, what's, what's the story? Okay, uh, it looks like they're literally almost ready. They're just putting plates together. So. Yeah, they're plating. Okay. <laughs> Probably is like. Just Do we have any any last questions? I kind of want to touch what she said. Okay. Uh, one of the reasons that I'm here, in part of the movement, is like for over a year, I got off the internet. I got out of Facebook. To say. I had like over 100 and some over 150 or more friends on Facebook. I was gone for a year. Not one of them emailed me, texted me, called me to see how I was doing. So I left that hole, and, and that whole time I was away from Facebook, I was kind of searching, and I was doing meditation by myself, and I got into you know herbal medicine, and just doing all kinds of things like that. And so when I finally realized that this is where I'm supposed to be, all the other things that I, was, that I should be doing, like getting up at 4 o'clock and spending time chanting, and stuff, I already was already doing. You know, so all, so you know, to me, everything kind of fell into place. I was a vegan, I was already straight edge, uh, everything, you know, and it just kind of here. Wow. But yeah. the whole Facebook thing, wow. like I, I, the other account, I just, I deleted it, and I have another account now, and nobody on it is not somebody I, pers I don't personally know or associate with. And yeah. besides the people here that I associate with, there's two other people that I associate with. I don't associate with anybody else that's non devoting other than two other people, not including my daughter. And and I think the best the best thing and I have a situation just like her that a year ago my boss is very toxic. He'll walk right up to your face and call you stupid. And a year ago, if he'd have done that to me, 
I wouldn't have a job. I'd be in jail probably. But now he comes up and he says stuff to me, and it's just, you know, whenever I used to chant, I used to chant, I'm not the, I'm not the body, I'm not the mind. Whenever he comes running his mouth to me, I chant, I'm like Bennett, I'm not in it. <laughs> That's it. Whatever. Keep on going, you know. And everybody was in my, my job. They're like, I, I can't believe I can't believe he said that, and you didn't say nothing to him. And, and, and who are you, you know? And and it's like, you know. And the luxury of my job, I, I operate a machine. I kind of work off by myself. I chant all day, you know. People walk up and they see me chanting. They're like, What are you doing? I said, I'm chanting. I'm like, Okay, and they keep on going. <laughs> Good job, Prabhupada used to say, in black, in, inject the blood with KC drug. Krishna conscious, yeah. right? So the, inject the blood with KC drug. So meaning, you know, the chanting, yeah, yeah. it gives a certain, a certain immunity, you know, towards all kinds of negativities and this and that, you know. And, I'm a, and I find that I'm a very, like, way more happier person than I was a year ago. I was always really like on edge and just like, this person said it to me, I'm like, you know, and just, and I've been like that mostly, most of my life, just the way I was raised and all the things I've been through. But within the last year, like all this stuff that happened, it's just like, it was all like, like put together and then, and now everything makes so much more sense than it ever did before, you know, it didn't make sense before, it was just like, you know, and it's like everything just kind of fell like there was the other day when we were in the temple some guy said you know well how you know how can you do chanting you know half and half your life i mean it's like really i mean it's it should be part of your life it should be one of the most important things in your life you know mm-hmm. i mean you shouldn't base your life around when you can chant you should you know you should base you should chant and then base the rest of your life around mm-hmm. around that you know mm-hmm. yes. yes thank you for sharing that fantastic all right, so I can smell some prasadam, smell wafting out the kitchen there. So thank you kindly for your thank attention. Thank you.